Hey, hey, guys. Welcome to episode number something. <laughs> episode number 28, 28. Driving up fraud and you can't fraud a fraudster. And Joe. Whew, I just made it. All right, you guys. And I'm not driving. I promise I'm not driving right now. <laughs> Look at Joe, though, you guys. She has a smile that's brighter than normal. That's right. I had to do that that what semi-annual checkup today. Ugh. So look, this is dedication, you guys. So look, Kelly, Kelly is having a much needed rest. And Joe, Joe is actually at the dentist, but but she cared so much about you guys and then felt sorry if you had to deal with only me that she <laughs> she <laughs> she's I mean, in I her car. I know. I know you can hold your own, Robert, but I didn't want to leave you hanging. So I had to like hurry. I was like, come on. They wanted to do x-rays and everything. I was like, I don't have time today. Don't have time. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. I was actually prepared to play you and Kelly because I think <laughs> I've learned so much from you guys now that I'm a better fraud person and a better ethics person. So I was going to actually now I, I don't have like wigs or anything to, to change into. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I can I just apologize if I'm spotty. Am I okay? Like internet wise, I'm on my hotspot. You hot are spot. a okay. Okay, all right. I'm under a tree. I'm on. I'm got my hotspot laptop. But okay, just checking. You are a okay. So look, guys. Hey, Friday Froster, we're here. You know what everybody? to do. Drop <laughs> that emoji into the chat that signifies the mood that you're in right now. We want to know how you guys are doing today. We know that Joe is doing fine because she has the pearly whites now. Right. And Kelly, we'll we'll hear about Kelly when she comes back. She'll tell us all about whatever it is that she has going on. Mm -hmm. So the Friday Froster, the best live show where we talk about fraud. We are on all of your podcasting platforms now, including Apple. Yes, I have succumbed to the forbidden fruit and we are now on Apple and I forgot his name, but we have a friend over in India who let me know last week I forgot to upload the episode to the podcasting platforms. The video is on YouTube. It's on the website. I just forgot. And for that, my friend, I apologize. So tomorrow by noon, you'll have both of these episodes up. Don't know how I did that. Have no idea. Because you have too much going on. Plus, you were traveling this week. I know how you did that. Yeah, that's true. You know what? So traveling, speaking of traveling, that was the first time I had traveled since the start of the pandemic. Oh boy, that was quite interesting. I um I posted a video on LinkedIn. It was so funny. Before the pandemic, I could navigate almost any airport or hotel. But at the hotel, I would get into the elevator and I kept pushing the one button. And then, you know, obviously in the hotel, the L button is what you want to go to to go to the lobby. So I'd press the one button, then the doors would open and I would look around like, wait a minute, this doesn't look like the lobby. OK, <laughs> so, yeah, traveling is all new for me all over again. It's like learning to ride a bike again. And Leslie is here and Leslie says hello. Hi, Leslie. And Hussam is here again. And Hussam says hello, Robert, Amanda and everyone. Hello, Hussam. So. All right, you guys. Before we hop right in, let's remind you about Kelly and Joe's book and movie CPE Club. Yes. What date is that? October 19th. 
at 11 my time, which is mountain time. So we, we had so much fun doing WeWork in September. We're doing the big short. Who exactly was short on ethics? So it's going to remind us all about that mortgage-backed security crisis financial crisis of 2008. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie, we'll give you, we'll watch the trailer. We have fun. We just chat about all the different uh, players, unethical players in whatever we're talking about. So it's going to be great. Now, you know, in 2008, I was actually working in the financial services industry for a bank that is no longer with us. May it rest (laughs) in peace. (laughs) May it rest in peace. So that's going to be a fun book club. And Clarence is here. Hello. TGIF is what Clarence said. TGIF, Clarence, we know how you feel about Friday, my friend, and we are glad that you are joining us. You guys, if you want to join an awesome auditors club, join awesomeauditors.club. Leave me your email address and I will keep you abreast of some of the really cool stuff that we have coming up just for you. Now, let's dive right into our first story. You know, Joe, I was trying to figure out which story to do first Oh, because these are some good ones, that, but but. Anyway, let's get right into driving up fraud. All right, you guys. I kind of let me just say I was kind of deceptive with you guys in the in the the um, uh, description. I said, what's driving up the cost of fraud? And I know some of you are waiting in bated breath to see what is driving up the cost of fraud. Well, heck, I don't know. (laughs) This story is about the United Auto Workers Union. Their auditors have found recently that one of their local chapters, local chapter 412, which is in uh, a suburb right outside of Detroit, that they misappropriated funds. And the internal auditors actually found it. They discovered more than $2 million in what they are calling, quote, improper personal expenditures by an employee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, in a statement, the United Auto Workers Union, the UAW, Their secretary characterized it as an elaborate embezzlement scheme. Now, you guys know how I feel about when they say elaborate. We hear that so much. (laughs) Yeah. I'll let you be the judge of whether it was elaborate or not. The union said that the financial secretary has been suspended and the audit findings have been referred to the U.S. Department of Labor and other law enforcement agencies. Now, here's what else the president of the local uh, union had to say. He said, due to the severity and the possible of the possible misappropriations, I recommend that the local executive board consider contacting the international union about placing the local, the local one in administratorship to assist the locals effort to correct the breach and put the local on the right path. Well, here's what happened. They're calling it a routine audit. Two million dollars. Possibly misappropriated from the bank account. Now, before we get into this scandal, they had one last year where 15 people, including two ex-presidents and a one time lead labor negotiator for Fiat Motors, were convicted. (laughs) Based on a years long probe that uncovered millions of dollars that were missing for um, worker training money, union dues, kickbacks, and fraudulent expenses. The money went to pay from everything from meals to booze to jewel-encrusted pins, a Ferrari, and a mortgage. So this was not their first rodeo in fraud. 
As a matter of fact, they were probably experts at it at this point. <sighs> they actually had a monitor put in place. Remember, we've talked re uh, recently about monitors for healthcare. So they had a monitor put in place to actually make sure that they, well, corrected some of the things that were going wrong. Now, in this latest discovery, it happened this summer. And, uh, whoa, it's getting dark in here, man. <laughs> I was, that's what I get for trying to use natural light for once. I'll tell you what, you change things up and the world changes on you. All right. <laughs> Look at my background. <laughs> you at least you're still out. well lit. <laughs> All right. So guys, let me ask you, what do you think so far about the United Auto Workers Union they already had one scandal that happened uh, last year. Now this summer, there's another one that's happening and they're saying about $2 million. I'll tell you what I think. You wanna know what I think first? What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I think the only reason they caught this one is because they had the time to react to the last one, right? So we, we talk about that mindset that a lot of companies, associations have, to just to be reactive to what's happened, not proactively changing their stuff. So, you know, as I was reading this case, it's like, you know, they make it sound like they were so proactive in all their fraud procedures and audit procedures and all of this. But I love that you brought up the past scandal because that's the only reason they are this way. They're still reacting to what happened to them in the past. So while I applaud them for, for finding this, what I still go back to is how do we stop this to begin with? And I think, um, you know, they're getting there, but they're not 100% there. Yeah. And, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, because the, the first one was just last year or the year before. Very recent. Let me just recent. say that much. Mm -hmm. And what they're saying. So what happened was somebody posted it into a private Facebook room and then somebody else did a screenshot and what it said in the private Facebook room, let's see, what it said was under the UAW's enhanced auditing process, UAW internal auditors discovered improper personal expenditures at local unit 412. The elected local officer was suspended and the findings sent to authorities, including the US Department of Labor. Then once it got out of the Facebook room, they were able to confirm, yes, this is actually what happened. And so the, the president said, again, we have put together a very enhanced auditing system. And while we are outraged that dues were embezzled, we are encouraged that the UAW auditors themselves discovered and reported this misuse of union dues through our new auditing guidelines. We are confident that these new guidelines will identify any similar activity in our union and serve as a deterrent to prevent such activity in the future. So I think you hit it spot on because why are you relying on auditing to actually catch the fraud versus putting in good controls up front? Right. That that was my biggest concern that, that you know, as much as I, you know, I tell auditors all the time and I'm sure you do, too the best auditor is trying hard every day to work themselves out of a job because yeah. the processes and the controls need to be that good that we're solving the problems, we're mitigating the risks. So there aren't any to find. And it just, by their statement, it seems like they're just, 
they're so excited that their auditors found this, but it's like, we can't, we cannot be excited. This is, this is about, we don't want detective controls. We want preventative controls. And I just, I feel like their language just kind of got me a little bit there. Yeah. That's what struck me as odd about it because if you're that happy that your auditors found it, that means that your administrative personnel, they're lacking. They're yes. not doing their job. Well, and, and Robert, they said they hired four more auditors. And I, you know, I say all the time, like problem solving doesn't mean throwing more auditors at the problem. Right. That's not, the, that's not the solution. This is about, you know, I teach you know, Deming principles, you know that from TQM. And the first thing Deming did was say, throw out the inspection department. You want the processes to be that good. Why are you spending so much time on this inspection, you know, and, and wanting them to find the, the problems and going back and fixing them? That's so ineffective, inefficient. It's costly. Right. And that's exactly what they're doing. They are they're they're throwing auditors at the problem. And I just I don't think that's the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's compounded by the fact that obviously they fired the people that they suspect are doing the wrong. I get that. So who are you going to hire that's competent to replace those people? Because the auditors, again, we come in after the fact or during whatever right. fraudulent activity is occurring, but you still have to have people that are actually performing it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah to your point, here's what, oh, oh go sorry. ahead. But no, wait, what you just read, though, I want everybody to make sure that, like, if we say it again, they say it was discovered through new auditing guidelines, and they're confident that these new audit guidelines will identify similar activity and serve as a deterrent. Why would audit guidelines serve as a deterrent? They need... Right. They need operational guidelines to serve as a deterrent or an ethics policy or right. Like, am I crazy here? I don't think you're crazy. And that's why I really like this one, because that that really hit me, too. I was like, OK, audit guidelines, you're going to rely on. But what about that's your upfront controls? Yeah. You're, what about the people working there? Not the auditors. Forget them. Like, this is the people. This is about culture and ethics. And this is not about the auditors. Right. Yeah. Anyway, you know, here, here's another question, though, that, that I have, and it may have been brought up. But if you are one of the auditors that works for this unit, why wouldn't you? And I'm not saying that they haven't, but why wouldn't you also suggest that having strong controls in place, not hiring more auditors? Why would you? And, and granted, every audit department is understaffed. Right. We know that. But why would you not say Okay, instead of giving us four, how about you give us three and then you hire someone in an administrative role to have that oversight function from a management accountability standpoint? Right, like a monitoring function or, you know, something. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, and again, I don't know if they said that or not, because I mean, it's good for the audit department's budget, kind of, I guess, but, you know. <laughs> but at some point, if the auditors keep finding stuff, they will turn on the auditors. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Sadly. So then, I know. Yeah, sadly is right. So then what they go on to say, though, is uh, when they talk about what they've done to fix this, they said the UAW provided a list of financial reforms it has made in the wake of the corruption scandal. One, hiring four additional auditors, all with post-secondary coursework in accounting, finance, tax regulation to assist with increased auditing process. Okay. Second, 
Retaining a new external accounting firm with a nationwide practice and an expertise working with labor unions, labor organizations. Three, expanding financial training for all UAW personnel responsible for any financial accounting duties. Four, financial operations that are more centralized with oversight from the secretary treasurer's office and subject to the stringent new policies and procedures implemented as a result of the overall <laughs> independent audit. So I guess having a post-secondary education means that you're bound to be a better auditor than the ones they had previously. You know what's funny though, Robert, did you understand this as these? this is what they put in place after the last time? that this happened because I think they put these things in place because they said this is in response to the corruption scandal. And I think that was the, the one a year or two ago. Yes. So obviously something's not working of these it's, four points. Maybe the only one that's working is those auditors that you may be hired to catch more, but obviously your financial training, if whatever that means, I don't know that it's financial training these people needed. Obviously, they knew financially how to embezzle two million dollars. I think they needed some ethical training, not financial training. So when I was unsure if you were going to be able to make it today, I told you I was going to play Joe and I was going to play Kelly. So right here, putting on my Joe hat, I was going to say, you know, this sounds like an ethical issue here. There's something corrupt in the culture because they implemented all of these new things after the first corruption scandal that they had, which is what you just said since you're actually here now. You're such a good Joe hat. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I even come? I could be doing something way more fun on Friday. No, this is where I want to. But but I I will say, and and I said that kind of jokingly, but in all seriousness, I think us being on this show together, I've learned so much from you and Kelly, and I'm hoping that the audience that listens to us, I hope that somehow they're learning a lot from you and Joe, uh, you and Kelly as well, because they're not learning anything from me. Whatever. But but I was going to put on the Robert hat, and I was going to put on the Robert hat, and the Robert hat would have said, or will say, you know, the controls are really messed up, and I think they need to work on the controls in this environment before they actually work on hiring more auditors. Mm-hmm. The controls management needs to be accountable for. And until you get management accountable for the controls, then these things will continue to happen. And to Joel's point, what she just said, that leads to a corrupt ethical culture. Very good. You just talk for all of us. You keep going. (laughs) (laughs) What would Kelly say? What would Kelly do? WWKD or S, what would Kelly say? You know know what? I had written down a hashtag for this one and I just, (laughs) I forgot it. Yeah, I can't find my paper that I had written it down on because on the next one, I really got some good stuff for Kelly that I've learned from Kelly. But on this one, I had I had a really cool hashtag and I've forgotten it. If anybody can think of a good Kelly hashtag, drop it in the chat for this particular story, because as you can see, we're on the Friday fraudster and Kelly. Kelly is uh, relaxing today and Kelly is taking some much needed time off. Joe is in her car because Joe has perfected her smile. Joe has just come from the dentist and me. I'm working with natural light today because I tried something different and now the sun just went down and then it came back. And so I may just disappear in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I'm to think, I'll think of a Kelly hashtag. That's good. And maybe she can watch the replay and put one in too. She's good at that. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, she really is. And I, I wish I could find my paper, but I was running around. I had a nice, cool Kelly hashtag for this story. So, you guys, if you are just joining us, we're on the Friday Frosters, where we talk about fraud every Friday. We are available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And the story that we've just talked about is the United Auto Workers Union, where they had a fraud, a $2 million fraud. But this is not their first one. This is like their second one. And what they've done to solve the fraud is they've hired more auditors. Okay, I'm, I'm only halfway exaggerating. They did um, retain a new external accounting firm. They did expand training for folks, but apparently the audit found some fraud where they were spending money. This is the second time in about two or three years where they were spending money on mortgages. Someone bought a Ferrari, um, other personal expenses. So this is a pretty bad can, can I bring up one point like to what you just said, like they, you know, most of what we've seen about this is all about audit, right? They're hiring internal auditors. They're changing their external audit firm and it's all to find fraud. And I know that you on your, was it on audit bites or was it on this show where you challenged everybody to say, do you, do you think it's auditors responsibility to find fraud? And what's amazing is how many auditors say no. And now I think you know my stance on that. I think that auditors should be looking at ethics and culture, which is what turns into fraud. So I think we need to be on that proactive stance, auditing culture, looking at ethics, challenging leadership, all of that hard stuff to catch the fraud, though, ultimately. Um, but, you know, I think that's the mentality is auditors should not be there to hire or to find fraud. And this story would completely negate that thought completely because they are a hundred percent relying on auditors whether it's internal or hiring external specific to labor unions i think they think they're there to find fraud yeah which is insane because if you make the control environment stronger then you should be able to prevent and or detect fraud in a more timely manner but also for auditors if we start focusing more on governance, mm -hmm. ethics, mm -hmm. and culture, mm -hmm. you'll be able to find big frauds because in a lot of organizations where you see the huge multi-million and multi-billion dollar frauds, it's because something is corrupt in the culture. I'm not talking about a small player who has a staff level or mid-level manager role where they, able, where, where they are able to steal several hundred thousand dollars. When you look at these multi-billion dollar frauds, even on this show, we've talked about Wirecard, you think about that when that had to be a corrupt culture there was the one where we talked about the winery over in with the grapes over in uh california culture corrupt from the top um most of the ones we talk about where the frauds are very large there's something wrong with the ethics morals values mm -hmm. all of that good stuff in the culture within the organization and all too often as auditors we don't touch culture right and i i think it's because people think it's too subjective but you know, if anybody that's taken one of my ethics courses knows, like you can break it down into specific areas that not always people equate to culture, but I'm going to use one example of my four areas is incentives. And how many times does Wells Fargo have to be in the news? I'm sorry, before people realize that it's sales incentives or bonuses or whatever that compensation is tied to that is influencing behavior. And sadly, it's influencing unethical behavior. Now, 
auditing an incentive plan program is not that challenging. The problem is what auditors traditionally do is make sure they're they're calculating that incentive right to the plan right. document, making sure it's going through SAP and it's paid out properly. They're not looking at the the why behind it, the meat of that incentive. What are we incentivizing? What behavior is that going to lead to? And that's why I always say auditors, you've got to start looking beyond the numbers. We're operational auditors after all. But yep. that is an example of how you can audit culture. And people would never say, you know, the culture is such this fluffy concept. Well, no, it's not. It can be it can be directly tied to audit procedures that you can do. And, you know, that's just one example of many. Well, and I'll give you two more because I think auditors need to start being brave and start speaking up and start doing things differently. So I'll tell you, at one organization, I came in as the new chief auditor. And as soon as I came in as the new chief auditor, whistleblower complaint activity spiked. And I sat there and I tracked it. It increased by 500%. Now, when I went to management and started talking to them, Granted, some of this is anecdotal, but what I said was you have a spike because people think that now there's a new person and something will actually get done. They have grievances that they want to discuss. Oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Many of them I asked, well, what made you report? And they said they felt like something would get done now because somebody new was there. So it's. There are certain things that you can monitor. I'll give you another example. When I worked in financial services back in 08, which you guys are going to talk about, um, we had these stated income and no doc loans that we were doing. And I questioned the bank that I was working for back then. Um, and, and so let me just say really good people working there. But I always ask questions because, I mean, ask better questions, get better answers, perform better audits. That's why I wrote the book. So one question I asked was, why are we still incentivizing loan officers when a loan is originated, when it actually is initially originated? If we know that when we send those loans off, the government has 90 days within, within which to return it. It's called an early payment default. Loan officers, loan officers should not get their incentive until after that 90 days is passed, because if it's passed, then We've given them an incentive and then we would still have to buy those loans back. So what they told me was, well, nobody's ever done it like that. And I didn't care. I was like, well, so what? I mean, we I understand that historically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so right. We have to learn to think differently and think about things that we can do to help protect our organizations. Um, and again, I realized the pushback I got wasn't people being malicious at that organization. They They were just. They were long term bankers and I was only in the banking industry. I'd only been in it for a little while. So I was questioning everything. Uh, but we had a lot of those loans come back to bite us in the butt. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Uh, same example. I have a similar example in retirement services. We would bring in a new 401k plan. Uh, we were bonusing sales by how many how much assets they thought would drop into the plan. Not not actuals. But, you know, wow. so of course, they're going to over exaggerate and say, oh, this plan is going to bring in five million dollars. And in, in fact, it brings in five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you know, we, we things like that. You know why we're there are still organizations out there that are doing incentives based on estimates, not actuals. It's crazy. Yeah. So I, I think you've hit a really good point. Incentives 
are a big thing that auditors can look at and above and beyond recalculating the amount that's done. Why is this incentive structure in place? What it, I, mm, I'll give another example. I worked at one point in time for a um, <clears throat> grocery chain and um, store managers would get incentives based on their ability to keep payroll hours low. Now, the correlation to that, though, was whenever you walked into this grocery store chain, you would always see long lines and a shortage of cashiers because store managers would send cashiers home because that helped them keep payroll low. There are a lot of things that we can do. We auditors are very smart people. I said in my, I, I just did a keynote speech at an IIA conference, and I said in that speech that we are some of the smartest people on the planet. I and and I really do believe that because we ask a lot of questions. Um, but we're inquisitive by nature, right? We're inquisitive. We're curious. Whatever word you want to use, and that does make us have an insane amount of knowledge most of the time. Exactly. If you're, if you're a good auditor. <laughs> and our buddy Trent is, is Trent Russell is here and Trent says, I've looked at incentives differently since hearing Joe talk about them. Great stuff. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Trent. This is what I like. We are reaching people, Joe. <laughs> well, and I was actually, it's funny, Trent just popped up because you started talking about those hotline numbers going up by 500% or whatever number you said, astronomical. Uh, that's the type of stuff Trent can help with when it comes to culture data is people think it's too subjective, but I'm telling you, there's data behind everything. So you do a survey, you ask a culture question and you have 150 people answer the same thing or tell you the same thing that's going on. I mean, that turns it into data and we, you know, auditors want facts. So find a way to gather that data even if it's just opinions and, you know, be beliefs and behaviors of what's right. happening in the culture, but then put it in data form. And that's how it's going to become powerful. I think that's why people, though, think they cannot audit culture because they wouldn't know what to do. Well, you're not putting the data together behind right. it. And yeah. even if it's subjective, even if it's the fluffy stuff, you can still put it into data terms. I think Trent would agree with that. Oh, yeah. Well, and here's the thing, too. Even when you talk about culture, I like to divide it up into two different segments. You have truly your internal culture and what's really happening. Then you also have your external culture, the perception that people have about your business. Um, I remember working for one company where everybody that worked there thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. And it really wasn't. And then when you talk to other people, they were like, yeah, that's a crappy company. I can't believe you work for that company. And that counts too, because that goes into your reputation risk. Yeah. So people's opinions, especially your customers and stakeholders, that is important. Yes. And I, you know, thinking about, I think we've talked about this, how can you get to that information? Well, you know, I'm all about customer surveys and that can be external to your organization. Yes, we get them all the time in our inbox, but there's a reason for that. Because those are the companies that truly realize we are in a business environment that is client relationship based. That is the evolution of business. I think I've gone on my spiel about this before, but, you know, back in the day, it was about production. Then it was decades later, we, we got to hire salespeople. So it was sales. Then it was advertising and marketing. Well, today it's client relationship. It is knowing are we meeting our customers' needs? So to your point, external, whether that's vendors or customers or clients, 
you know, we as auditors need to understand what they think too. You know, yep. look at those reviews. You know, they're not always from past employ employees. They are from people who've worked with the company. And so there is so much data out there that you could do that macro level culture auditing too. Absolutely. All right. So you guys, there was our first story for today talking about the United Auto Workers Union where, oof, man, there was a salacious fraud going on and it was driving up the cost of fraud. <laughs> driving. All right. I, I, you I, know, I, I need to do I, I think it was meant to be that I was in my car for this one, for that story. Oh, you know when what? The... I didn't even, goodness. I'm, oh, the workers. You know what? I need for myself like a want, 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 like a sound yeah. effect. <laughs> I'm okay. Look, it ain't easy being cheesy, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for our next story, hmm. Look, you can't <laughs> fraud a fraudster or out fraud a fraudster. Now this one is actually going to be kind of sad, kind of comical and kind of just like, what the heck? The president of a business of a nonprofit that provides fraud control training is sent to prison for embezzling nearly $700,000 from the company. Just the headline is good. Yeah, I, I I don't even. We can just stop there. We're done. No, okay. So so he made one hundred and ninety four thousand dollars a year, and he was the president of a nonprofit business training program that taught bankers how to combat fraud. And he was sentenced to two years in prison uh, in August of this year. And it said that he spent the money on casinos, cruises. And alimony payments to three ex-wives. Now, here's where I'm going to put on my Kelly hat. Because yes, Kelly yes. said most of the time when you see fraud, especially when it's a man, it is because of alimony, child support, divorce, or something like that. And then if I channel my inner Kelly, I'll say, men steal more, but women do it better. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, I think maybe she would hashtag something like, Fraud for wives or fraud for ex-wives hashtag fraud, because that's a good one. It's always the people that have to pay alimony have had lots of wives. I think she would say that too, something like that. Hashtag ex-wife fraud. Ex-wife fraud. Yeah. Ex -wife fraud. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that's a good one. Um. Okay. So so let let's dig into this one because th this is just interesting. So, the president and CEO of the Farmington. Connecticut-based Center for Financial Training, which operates across the country and offers training programs for employees of banks, credit unions, and other financial institutions. He was hired as the president in 2013, but federal prosecutors said that the thefts ran for, well, at least seven years. So now, in addition to the two-year sentence, the judge has fined him $100,000 and ordered him to repay the stolen money. What they're saying is specifically between June of 2013 and February of 2020, he stole approximately. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just let me just stop. They say approximately, but this number sounds pretty exact to me. Six hundred eighty three thousand two hundred two dollars and nine cents. Now that. <laughs> I love that. 
That sounds pretty exact to me, you guys. Tell me what you guys think, exact or approximate. I don't know. Um, Are you auditing the news article? (laughs) See, auditors ask, always ask questions. Um, Anyway, sorry. They're saying that he took the money from credit card accounts and bank accounts by writing checks to himself. Uh, He took cash advances, made alimony payments, paid for personal expenses, including meals, trips to casinos, cruises, and vacations. Now, they're saying that he arranged for 4,300 illegal transactions, which breaks down to about 53 thefts per month or nearly two thefts per day. But he pleaded guilty to only one in his plea bargain deal. And that one was for $1,065 for a cash advance at the, at the, well, at, at some bank. Morgan, I, no, that, that's a casino and oh. hotel. And I was supposed to do a conference there this year, but I got wow. to do it virtually. But I was so sad because it's a beautiful place, honestly, in New England. That was where the New England District Conference for the IIA was going to be this year. So anyway, I don't know where that. Okay, it's in Connecticut. It's and it's like Google Pictures. It's really pretty place. I was sad it went virtual, but that's okay. Anyway, nice. So so he so think about this, you guys. He was able to write checks to himself and do cash advances and all that good stuff. And now this was a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um. Do we need to even say it? <laughs> we we have four nonprofits. We've picked on them a lot in the last year. But I mean, they don't, they obviously don't have the controls, the segregation of duties. Well, yeah. You well, and it. I think the problem is nonprofits, they, they run their business based on too much trust. So I'm going to say what I say in every show. If you run a nonprofit and you need an auditor to come in and take a look at your operations, give me a call. Go to thatauditguy.com. You can see my contact information there. Send me an email because I understand you can't afford these huge firms that have a whole lot of overhead. Well, guess what? I'm not cheap either, but (laughs) 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 so you thought I was going to say something else, but I'm more reasonable than them. And well, I mean, I'm probably a lot better than them because I have over 20 years of experience doing this. Um, The nonprofits, they do get slammed. And I really do try to focus on the nonprofit sector when I do my internal auditing, uh, because it's it's an area that's ripe for fraud. I mean, here we have this president again. He he wrote checks to himself. He did cash advances. I'm assuming some of this stuff was done on the uh, uh, nonprofit credit card as well. So that's a complete lack of controls in that environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now. Yeah, you got to read the next part. Yeah, let, let's channel our inner Kelly because Kelly is like the motive behind stuff, the motive. Okay, so in his defense, <laughs> he said that he has been destroyed emotionally by a dysfunctional childhood. Okay, look, most people's childhood put the fun in dysfunctional. Let's just be honest about that. Okay, well, he's not done. By a dysfunctional childhood and a succession of bad marriages. Well, my friend, if you were burned once and you went ahead and did it two more times, that's on you. You should have learned a lesson from the first one. Okay, you should have learned what not to do and what to look for. You chose wrong especially the second and third time. The first time, maybe you got duped. Let's give it that, okay? Everybody deserves one strike. (laughs) 
Am I being a little too harsh today, Joe? I'm sorry. No, was- no. You know, well, I probably shouldn't say anything about that. I was going to say they tend to pick the same kind of people. So, but it was better though, right? Because they said during the period over which he was stealing, his defense lawyer said he was abusing alcohol. Okay, well, you know, every once in a while you might have a drink or two. Cocaine. <laughs> and a prosalam. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's a sedative. <clears throat> Clearly, there were some problems. My question is, why didn't anybody see these problems? Because this kind of stuff, if he's pleading this is, is his defense, I feel like this is like the Elizabeth Holmes defense abuse defense um and the problem with her defense is nobody saw it and so you know if he was able to hide it you know hide it i don't know it just it's of course i'm just gonna go back to elizabeth holmes but well his lawyer said that the defendant was self-medicating with the use of substances and it is unquestionable that the cloud of substances influenced his criminal activity and misconduct well i think it clouds a lot of things (laughs) i don't know firsthand but um i just yeah that's no excuse now to their credit the prosecutor i think this was the prosecutor said there was nothing impulsive or spontaneous about his crime unlike some embezzlers He cannot claim that financial distress drove him into an otherwise uncharacteristic desperate act. To the contrary, thanks to his near constant use of, you know, their funds to cover his personal expenses, he was able to accumulate more than nine hundred thousand dollars in retirement savings. Then and they're saying that he was able to amass this nest egg despite having multiple divorces and his apparent addictions. So in spite of all of this other stuff, he actually was able to save $900,000 in a retirement account. Yeah, he wasn't hurting for money, clearly. Yep. So. that Did you read that, la- that next line about greed? Because that, I was thinking that would be the Kelly hashtag. Um, they said he was driven by greed, not necessity. And I thought that was a good line. Like, I mean, fraud is, you know, I think we talk about the rationalizations a lot in unethical behavior that are necessary. You know, our kid needs a medical procedure or we have aging parents, you know, all of this stuff. And so I think it's interesting, you know, greed, not necessity would be a, could be a fraud hashtag against that rationalization. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Do you remember the part about his friend that wrote a letter for him seeking leniency? (laughs) His friend wrote a letter seeking leniency. And he said, Mike has dedicated his professional career to educating the banking industry on all things banking, including internal controls and fraud. So I know he knew what he was doing was wrong. And he also knew the risk involved. Now, if that's the friend that's seeking leniency for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not that's not a good picture. 
I would have picked another friend. <laughs> I would have picked another friend. Now, they're also saying that in addition to serving a prison sentence, uh, he was ordered to pay back the money and he's already written a check for $128,000 from his retirement plan and promised to repay the balance. He is now working. He's now working. Anybody want to guess? Anybody in the chat, guess what he is working as and I'll give you a one hour free CPE. Just take a <laughs> take a stab at what his job is right now and I will give you one hour CPE for free. Um, and I'll just give us a few minutes here, a few seconds here, because we don't, we're on about a five second delay, but I am just so shocked at what his job is right now. I mean, at least he is working, but it kind of gave me the, the chills to think about what his job is now. Especially so after his substance abuse, alcohol right. and cocaine addiction. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. That was the part that really got me. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That was it. Exactly. So they <laughs> uh, Leslie. That's funny. Leslie says that he's an attorney. Leslie uh, Kelly being gone too. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, he is not an attorney. You know what? Let me see if my soundboard is actually working today and I can give you a good this is probably going to be real low because I don't think I have my sound hooked up. But Leslie, attorney Leslie says. Oh, I heard it. Oh, that's not it. it just hey, wasn't loud enough. I could give a clue based on my location. <laughs> where Ooh. I am has something to do with his current profession. Where I am right now. Is that too big of a clue? <laughs> and remember, our first story was auto about auto workers union oh yeah that's right that's right our first story was about auto workers mm -hmm. so all right i'm gonna stall for guessing. a couple more seconds and see if anybody <laughs> else wants to give in a guess because i'm i'm ready to i'm ready to just have this sound effect he says it's therapeutic which is interesting oh that is very interesting huh mm -hmm. i think i missed that part wow uh-huh. All right. So guys, let's just get to it. He is now working as an Uber driver, which he claims has been therapeutic and in court filing, broke down the miles he has driven since August of 2020 when he began driving for Uber. The defendant has driven 85,000 miles, has taken slash accepted 4,300 Uber trips and has worked 2,300 hours. The defendant averages 52 hours per week and 1,800 miles per week. The defendant often discusses his addiction, recovery steps, and certain spiritual topics with the passengers and utilizes the time between rides to reflect upon his experience with the prior passengers. So... Diane Hudson was, says car sales. I think I just gave it away. Guess. So that, that was, was close. That, that was, was a real a good, good guess. guess. That was a good guess. I just don't know what I would think if I got into an Uber and he started talking about his addiction problems. Right. I'm not quite sure what I would even do at that point. I would cancel the Uber ride. Hey, let's cancel this, my man. Let's get another one. I, and, and, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying. Right. 
well, first I might ask, what were you addicted to? Because I mean, this guy hit the trifecta, right? Cocaine, a sedative, and uh, alcohol, right? Was that the other one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dyson says, I'm guessing his Uber rating is pretty low if he's bending people's ears. Yeah, it's gotta be. There's well, and that's another thing, Kelly. If we were truly channeling Kelly, she would have looked him up on LinkedIn by now, and she would have looked up him probably on the Uber app by now. Ooh, that's true. Because <laughs> she is the ultimate investigator, and she would have found out what his Uber rating was for us uh, if we had. Darn had it! Her on. That it. is so true. That's why we need her. <laughs> All right, guys. So our second story for today. We've been talking about a nonprofit that specializes in training banks and credit unions on how to, well, prevent and or detect fraud. Their president embezzled nearly $700,000 while making a salary of $194,000 per year, while also saving about $900,000. And so within this, they've said, had to be greed because it wasn't need. Mm -hmm. Ooh, Kelly. Hashtag greed, not need. Not need. I, that was it. <laughs> that was totally it. As soon as you said it, I'm like, wait, greed, not necessity. No, greed, not need. That is perfect. That's a good one. We've actually got to make sure she watches this one because, yes, wow, we've channeled our inner Kelly. She's taught us all a lot here. And I'm hoping you guys have learned a lot too. Um, so anyway, so yeah. So um, essentially what we're learning or well, not even learning at this point, we're continuing to spotlight nonprofits because quite frankly, they have weak control environments. And as I always say, they have weak control environments because their control environments are built on a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm so sure they really trusted this guy. Yeah. So hire Robert for help. Exactly. Hire me nonprofits because we can work remote. I mean, this stuff... This stuff is fairly simple because really all you need is for somebody to come in and tell you what it is that you're thinking in the back of your head, but you're refusing to admit because it makes it seem like you don't trust this person if you question them. No, it doesn't. You should trust but verify. I mean, you got millions of dollars at risk here. He was able to steal $700,000 from you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could have given me that half of that. Now, you know, and we really didn't even go into the irony, and I know we're about out of time and I probably should get to driving again, but uh, the irony of the nonprofit being a fraud trading company. I mean, the headline says the irony enough, but, you know, I think that in and of itself probably gave it this extra level of trust and that shouldn't inherently be there. I mean, this is why every company, nonprofit, association, I don't care who you are, still has to have integrity and ethics as a value because it's not inherent in anybody's being anymore. Unfortunately, that is how society is today. And I bet that he got that extra layer of trust because he ran a fraud draining company. And so anyway, that's just kind of full circle back to the irony there. Yeah. And Hashtag it, fraud irony. That could be one. Kelly would say ooh. that too. Fraud irony, because there are a lot of them out there. I think these weird, you know, fraud cases that, that are super ironic. We've definitely got to get Kelly to listen to this one. <laughs> so, you guys, Friday Fraudster, me, Joe, and Kelly. If you like what we're doing here, spread the word to all of your friends. 
You can go to FridayFroster.com and catch up on past episodes. There are a lot of the video is up sometimes, sometimes on most of the episodes. <laughs> We're up on your favorite podcasting platforms if you just want to listen to us. There are a lot of people listening to us on their Alexa devices. I can look at the stats and see like where they're how they're listening. There's some people saying, Alexa, play the Friday Fraudster. I don't know if that's actually a command or not in, on Alexa, but I can tell they're listening on Alexa. Yeah. So, so look, you guys, I'm Robert Berry. I am at thataudityguy.com. Joe Irvin. Where are you, Joe? Auditconsultingeducation.com. And Joe has a monthly book club. You don't even have to read the book and you get CPE. But another thing, Joe has, Joe and Kelly have a fraud. Uh, what, oh, God, Joe, why am I drawing a blank? Oh, the fraud retreat. Thank you. Yes. Yes. We haven't talked about that in a while. Um, I've got actually a few more people signed up. I'm super excited. It's not till next August. So you guys have plenty of time to plan, but do early bird res reservations now. Uh, fraudretreat.com. Fraudretreat.com. And if you want to be a part of a budding and good audit community, where we turn auditors very awesome, go to awesomeauditor.club. Drop in your email address. You might get a special gift from me, but we're going to start doing some really cool things for the auditing community. Again, if you like this, tell all your friends, every last single one of them, even the ones who aren't auditors, just tell them to tune in because this is quite edutaining here, the stuff that we're doing. All right, Joe, any last words? No last words. Just thanks for uh, putting up with my crazy background today. And I'm glad I could join for the whole time. It was fun. I'm happy you were here because goodness. <laughs> could you imagine what it would have been without you? It, you would have been fine. But I was, glad I, I was glad I got to come too. All right, guys. See you next week, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central Time.